Hello, everyone. My name is Bella Solonat, and welcome to my podcast. This is 100% BS, and I'm very excited to have you here. My guest today is my wonderful friend, Hunter Wade, and we dive into a fascinating conversation all about religion and spirituality, but really specifically using Hunter's expertise about Christianity. And she has a, a master's of divinity and she provides a very concrete and enlightening historic view as well as sort of the modern update on where we're at with things like the Bible, Christianity, the church, etc. And so I invite you to come in with an open mind and to just see how basically just understanding how these conversations, whether they're something that you're used to or someone that, you know, if you're someone who identifies as someone who's religious or spiritual or not, that really what we're talking about here is the human condition. We're talking about how ideas, ideologies, constructs, institutions over time and in the, a human world, how those can turn either positive or negative. And so for me, this conversation is so fascinating because it creates those through lines to understand what's the human aspect of this. And because of that, how can we approach things differently and expand? So without further ado, here is Hunter. And if you guys are new to the show, make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We're also on YouTube, so you can watch this video as well. So welcome onto my show. I'm so excited for you to be here. Um, Hunter is an amazing human being. You guys are about to find out for yourselves. But um, Hunter and I met at a retreat earlier this year in Sedona in February. And that was just like the greatest week of my life. <laughs> it was like so fantastic. Um, but yeah, I just remember we like super clicked. And I mean, the whole group clicked. But you know, when you like find certain people that you're like, wow, this is like a homie for life. Um, but I'm excited to have you on to talk about I mean, you just I feel like you have such a fascinating perspective. And I'm someone who we all have our own interesting journey with like religion, spirituality and God and this and that and how we like figure all that out. And so having someone who in my mind is like an expert, as you say, a master of divinity. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I have mastered everything divine. So you're right. No, yes, you're good. There you're is good no to go. mastering it, but that is the degree, which is yes. Um, but yeah, I would love for you to explain like your kind of like, for sure, like what you just studied at school, your master's and sort of a bit of that journey just to share sort of like where you're at now um, and what things have been like getting there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Good question. Also, you guys, I just have to say, delighted to be here with Bella. And when you said like we clicked at the retreat, my mind literally just went back to getting to watch you shuffle dance in person. And then you tried to teach all of us and it was so sweet and tender and I was so bad, but I was like, am I doing it? Am I doing it? And I was not Oh my God. It. It was so fun. That was so the best. That was, I wish you could really relive the retreat. It was so fun. Um, but okay, so my journey. So I am currently a pastor, which is super fun. And it's been an interesting, of course, journey getting here. But I grew up Christian, grew up in the church, but not super strict. Like my parents were Christian. I also grew up in Oklahoma. So everyone's Christian, at least nominally. Like it's just, it is the culture. So like Christianity was the way I first was introduced to God, but it also was just the culture, you know, like 
Oklahoma, you couldn't buy wine or beer or alcohol on Sunday until like last week. Like, it's just like, it's so entrenched in everything. So, um, but I got really into church, really into Christianity, um, in a really genuine way in middle school, like, which I just think back at that cutie little angel. I'm like, why did you care about this? Like, I just always was so interested in spirituality. And then I went to college here in Nashville, where I live now at Belmont University. And I, through a series of funny, wonderful coincidences, I ended up studying theology at Belmont and it's Christian theology. And um, that wasn't my plan, but I got a scholarship through that college. And so I was like, you want to pay me to go to school? I will study whatever you say I should study. And then I fell in love with it and just was obsessed with getting to be in a classroom talking about God and Jesus and getting asked questions that church folk don't really like and shy away from. So I was like, wait, I can question everything. I'm in. And then I worked for a college women's ministry for a year out of school. And then I went back to get my master's. So I got my master's of divinity which like I said, is so just inaccurate because you can't master divinity. Like what would be the point if you could? Yeah, but, I'm done. Um, yeah, I'm done. I actually, now I just like knit. I had to find a new hobby because I mastered divinity, but um, yeah, but it was awesome. And I just graduated from that in May. So delighted to be done. It's grad school's hard, y'all. They really make you work for those master's degrees. I was not, I was prepared, but it was just really hard in the pandemic and all of that. But that was also, so Masters of Divinity, one person asked me, what is that? It sounds like you got it at Hogwarts. And I was like, <laughs> Literally. Dude, I thought you were joking. Like on your Instagram <laughs> post when you graduated, it was like, Master of Divinity. I was like, that's funny. What's the actual title? <laughs> A Master of Law or like Master of whatever doctors are. I don't know what they are. Doctor of what do you, health. That makes sense. But this, yeah, so... That is the actual degree. And it is, you can get ones that are less like Christianity centric. Mine was Christianity centric and had a little bit of other religions in it, but some, you know, are even, it's a spectrum of what you get, but it's in this country, it's primarily um, Christian focused. And yeah, so I was just studying theology, um, which theology literally just means God talk and Christians think it's just for their God, you know, their understanding of God, but like the Greek literally just means God talk, which is my favorite kind of talk. And so I did that in undergrad. I did it in grad school, read so many books and talked about God ad nauseum and wrote so many papers. And then they gave me a degree and said that I mastered it. So that's hilarious. And now here I am trying to use what I've learned, like for the first time, um, in a full-time way and it's so fun and I still have so many questions even though they gave me the masters of divinity piece of yeah, paper so yeah funny. that's awesome yeah so so what was like your like what you wanted as a career track like in terms of how you would you know everyone's like what are you gonna do with it what was your sort of idea of what you wanted to um use this degree for and also your interest in like what you wanted to do with it in the real world yeah great question so a master's of divinity um and other people refer to it like you go to seminary those are can be like interchangeable you go to seminary to get a master's of divinity usually and um it used to be like 20 years ago or maybe even less like if someone was going to seminary they wanted to be a pastor they wanted to preach every sunday they were usually a white cis hat man <laughs> because that's like 
only people that could do it usually. And um, that's what they would do. But now there's some schools that that's still like the main population of students. But I went to Emory University to Candler School of Theology, and we had a wide swath of people who wanted to get this degree and do really cool out of the box things like of my good friends from grad school one is a doula and like her spirituality and her understanding of god informs that wholeheartedly like it's so beautiful and then one of my friends is gay and catholic and so she can't be a priest but she is a chaplain and so that's like another like a lot of people do that one of my friends does want to be a priest in the episcopal church one of my friends decided she's going to get her mdiv and her MBA at the same time because she's a masochist. And so now she works for Deloitte, like this huge like consulting firm. Um, I'm trying to think what else. There's a lot of people like I think you have a lot of friends who have their Masters of Divinity and are like a full time yoga teacher now. Right. There's people who do all sorts of stuff a lot, mm-hmm. um, go on to get their Ph.D. from there and want to be professors. That's common. A lot write books and then like a good chunk still um, our pastors and that's their goal. And so I went into it wanting to be a pastor and it's a little miraculous that I came out of it wanting to be a pastor because so much changes and shifts. Like it's really a crucible of time. Like it shakes everything you think, you know, about God and yourself and Mm -hmm. Christ. And people would tell me when I was going to seminary, they're like, Oh, that's exciting. You're going to cemetery where faith goes to die. Like strangers would say that to me. And I was like, you don't even know me. Why would you say that? But it's kind of true. Like it's, yeah. it really shakes what you think, which is the only way you can, you know, kind of expand totally your yeah. understanding. So um, yeah, all that to say, I went into it wanting to be a pastor and to write and teach and speak. And now I'm actually getting to do that with an amazing church called Grace Point here in Nashville. And I literally just in the last two weeks, this all came together where I am getting to teach a feminist study about the Bible that I wrote in grad school. I'm getting to help write curriculum for them. That's going to help other churches um, in the progressive Christian space. And I'm preaching for them in the next couple of months. And I literally realized last week, I was like, wait, writing, teaching, preaching. Oh my God, all my dreams are coming true. That's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, congratulations. That's, that's amazing that you get to use all your interests in one. What is, so you're saying how people kind of say like that usually when people go to study this, right? Like they end up losing a lot of faith. What's like the, the kind of like core curriculum of it? Like, are you mainly studying and you said divinity has to do is like the Christian sect of it. Are there different like theologies that you can choose kind of? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the umbrella is Christianity. Um, and we do like in our curriculum, it differs a little bit from like school to school. Um, so from my school, it was like a certain group of classes that everybody has to take. And then a lot of flexibility because there's so many directions and so many different types of scholarship. And so like, I'm most interested in feminist and womanist theology. And so I took like every class I could in that, but there's a lot of people interested in liberation theology, which was born out of the civil rights movement in America and is black liberation theology. And you can take a lot of classes in that there's black church studies, there's like religion and health and like ways that you can mix that together. And then some of the common classes we all take is a year in old Testament and a year in new Testament. So of the Bible. And then 
Some people do the biblical languages, so Greek and Hebrew, which are horrible. They're so hard. And I took one semester of Greek and said, I don't know. Someone can teach this to me. I don't need to know this for myself. Um, And then I'm trying to think of other theologies we studied. There's systematic theology, which is really like breaking down at a systemic level. Like what are the building blocks of the cross and what do we think the cross does? And as it turns out, like there are as many opinions of that as there are Christians, right? Like no one really thinks the same thing. It's kind of like with individual people, like you and I could both look at a painting and I have one perception of it and you have another. And like, that's so beautiful and it can cause conflict. So there's a lot of differing opinions. Um, So that's why this shit never gets old because there's always another perspective to learn, even if I'm just studying Christianity. Right. Yeah. And I think that's why it's so interesting because you have like, you know, the OG text, which is everyone uses as the Bible, right? But now I think you have people who are like, well, this doesn't have to be the final word, right? Like, which would, for some people is a radical idea, but I think, you know, what attracted you to being able to question everything is like, that's the point. I think that is what a lot of people find strengthens their connection to whatever they view as divine, right? Like, whether you're referencing the universe or source or God or whatever, like being able to be inquisitive about it is actually what strengthens it. And it's it's just ironic because I think a lot of people's trauma with religion comes from when it was either weaponized against them or there was absolutely no room for questions. And I think as humans, we really don't like that because we're curious. And like if something feels off, we want to be able to explore that. So in in school, what was kind of like that approach to, okay, like you're you're here the student learning, but also how do we make this sort of like a, a revamped approach where we're learning from, you know, a mix of like the history of it, the sacred texts, but also maybe like our own personal exploration of like what is divine? Like what is all of this? What is existence? Like is how was that a part of your journey? Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good question. And such a good point. Cause yeah, I, although I still identify Christian and I am a pastor, like I personally have religious trauma just because of the nature of Christianity in America and how it's so been aligned with white supremacy and capitalism in this country, to be honest. And so I know just for, I know, you know, this, but to anyone listening, like I'm not a naive pastor going Christianity's the best like Christianity is lots and lots of things <laughs> and so it's a lot of it is bad news bears um but yeah so in school something what that like drew me to the academic study of theology um that I got there instead of like in a Sunday school or in a small group or in like a devotional reading was like you you do question all of it and you approach it the text of the Bible with suspicion. So there's this fancy grad school word called a hermeneutic of suspicion. And a hermeneutic is like the lens through which you approach the text. And that's not just a Christian word. Like you could have a hermeneutic of, I don't know, like literature, like you're reading Moby Dick and you're reading it through a hermeneutic of suspicion. Maybe, I don't know. That sounds like something that could happen. I've honestly never read Moby Dick, which is surprising. Um, (laughs) They didn't make me read it in school. But so you approach the text with a hermeneutic of suspicion. So 
it's like you don't trust it right away, right? And so where feminist scholarship comes in too is like, okay, we know that the Bible was born and founded within a context of patriarchy because we live in a world that is patriarchal. We know that women's stories are left out. We know that women are abused within the text. And yet we call this our sacred text. And what do you do with that? And what, where, where are the women? Where are they? We know they were there, right? Like it wasn't all men in this, you know, ancient, beautiful history. Um, And so I think that's the beauty of an academic study of theology that a lot of people in churches don't get whether they want it or not you just it's harder it's way harder because you can't really preach a hermeneutic of suspicion right because that's not what people are there for my church kind of does um but it's super progressive and they literally like the pastor gives death threats like to his house for the stuff that he says about the bible and about god and in a way that is questioning um do some people like become pastors like do you always have to go to school like some kind of university for it or is there because this it sounds unique where you learned because I think my like understanding and like when I I went through um what was it called it was just called church school or whatever it was at this um actually a protestant church I think it was I get them all mixed up I like went to a unit Tarian Universalist Church when I was really little, but then I think the one in town was Protestant, whatever. We did this Sunday school thing where we learned about all the different religions and it was like pretty cool. But I remember just I really didn't like the whole thing because A, I didn't really want to be there. So that was like kind of difficult, but also like the the Sunday services themselves were very much like when we say the word preach and it has the negative connotation of like, I'm just talking at you and you just have to accept it. That was like the energy. And so it's fascinating to know that taking that, her- what was it called? Hermeneutic? Hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. Hermeneutic approach. That's like so rare. Like we should have that approach in every field of study, like medicine, science, physics, everything should have that. And it's pretty remarkable to hear that in religious studies that was the approach because for the longest time the construct of religion and those like psychological behaviors were translated to now like you know how science becomes a religion and people are just blindly like you know accepting whatever health authority says like it's those same patterns so to break that is so fascinating but is true to the nature of it like do you feel that there is a side of the history, like the OG Christianity, that is actually rooted in that skepticism, that that's how it is meant to be, and that it was sort of manipulated by man, in a way, like humankind? Yeah, yeah. Well, I definitely think the, um, as my pastor at the church I'm at now calls, like, the Jesus movement, like, when Jesus shows up on the scene, like, Jesus is Jewish, and Jesus is a teacher, a Jewish teacher, and a, a Jewish man, and a you know, Galilean peasant, like we know enough, we don't know a ton, but we know enough to kind of piece his um, identity in his context together. That's the other thing about studying theology is context is everything. And that's why we read so many things that aren't just the Bible, because the Bible wasn't written for me. It was not. And like, that will piss people off. Like there's Christians out there who are like, you're wrong. But it wasn't, it was written for a community that existed 2000 years ago in the ancient Near East. That's not me. I live in I'm just a basic white girl in Nashville. Okay. Those are not the same thing. So we read a lot 
to understand more of the context. And so to go back to your question, like Jesus comes in and he pissed off all the Jewish leaders because he disagreed with how Judaism was being practiced in his time and place. And Jesus, I don't think ever set out to start a new religion. Like he was a good Jewish boy and he loved the Jewish texts and he loved God as he knew through those texts and through his own experience. And so like you could argue that like Christianity was founded in questioning and in critical thinking and in looking at like, how does what we believe impact people? And I feel like that's what something I love about Jesus is Jesus always like, okay, you think that, but like, how does that translate into how you treat other people? And like, are they okay? Or are you hurting and oppressing and marginalizing them? Um, But Jesus doesn't come in and like destroy the Hebrew Bible, right? Like he uses the Bible and questions it from a place of like, no, I know God and I love God. And I want to do this in a way that honors the God that I know. Right. Yeah. That's another, that's something that I started hearing about in the last year of like this updated story of, of Jesus as we know it. And I thought that's so fascinating. Like people would talk about, you know, that he, he hung out with like, like bandits and like people who would or whatever, like that's like part of the story is, you know, he wasn't this like it, it for the longest time. And this is something that you've talked about a lot is like the Bible and God and these symbols being used as almost like the dangling carrot for you should be this way. And I think Mm -hmm. that is such a massive theme that really like is the root cause of so many issues. Right. So it's like, yeah, throwing the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like Mm -hmm. man, humankind came in and was like, Oh, we see that this is talking about virtues and morality And then suddenly people had personal interests and they had their own agenda. And so things are leveraged in their own way, which is, which is a human nature. Like people for the most part, we're selfish. Yeah, we are. And if (laughs) if you don't have that in check, then it gets out of hand. And so I'm curious what you think. I wonder like historically, if there is a point that you learned about or just from your own, like kind of idea of it, of where that sort of manipulation came in and it feels like the story changed and it started to be used as a manipulation tactic really yeah yeah oh that's such a good question because it's so true like any institution like it's it's a double-edged sword of we need institutions to live a common life together and anytime you create an institution we fuck it up like we just we we are selfish and we use it to our own personal advantage at the, at the cost of others or the planet or, you know, somebody else's best interest. So yeah, it is, it is tragically human. We so do that. And I see it in Christianity. I see it in our politics. I see it in, you know, global politics, like, yeah, in business. Oh my God, it's everywhere. So, um, I keep referencing my pastor, so I need to say his name. So his name is Josh Scott. He is a fabulous scholar and he, I'm going to use what I'm, citing him. This is not my original idea, but um, I think he's right about it. Um, He talks a lot about when the Jesus movement went from, um, so like after Jesus was crucified, um, his followers, you know, were like, wait, what? (laughs) This was supposed to be this like big, beautiful thing in this movement. And they just killed our leader and it changed. And so um, it, it started as a Jewish sect 
Christianity did. Like it was a subset of Judaism. And then over time, they disagreed, like the subset and like other Jewish subsets. And so they kind of became their own thing of Christianity. I'm fast forwarding through so much history, Um, but it became their own thing. It's their own religion, Christianity. And for a long time, it existed in the Roman Empire without a lot of conflict. Um, And then they were heavily, heavily persecuted in the Roman Empire. And then Constantine, I think, shoot, we're gonna have to fact check, but I believe it's Constantine made Christianity the religion of the empire. And that drastically, drastically changed things because how I understand the gospel, which means good news and like the gospel, the teaching of Jesus, it had nothing to do with empire. It had nothing to do with um, power. It had nothing to do with having control over others, right? And so for an emperor whose whole shtick is keep power, control the land, expand for Rome and for myself, you know, like it it was like such a 180 from this like poor peasant teacher who's walking around with big crowds following him because they love what he's saying, you know? And so that really shifted things. Um, and it's kind of when like Christianity, maybe like what we think of as Christianity in more of a negative view, I would say. Yeah, began, like maybe also, when it became ideology in a way, like yeah. sort of in like enforced upon the people, right? Like yes. they, the emperor. It wasn't a choice. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like he says, everybody has to do this. And suddenly it's not, oh, explore your own beliefs it's mm-hmm. like this you must read this you have to believe this and if you don't like or you're not you know die. patriotic or whatever yeah or even you will be killed like yeah and so i think for an emperor to like declare any sort of religion as mandatory is a tactic of control right you're literally controlling people's lives and i mean we see that with most world religions at one time or another like people are killed if you don't align with the religion of the current power structure right whoever's in power at the time um so yeah it's that was probably probably safe to say that was like the origin of christianity being used for manipulation and oppression rather than for liberation which i think is the central message of jesus so right yeah yeah that's i didn't i like i actually history was one of my favorite uh subjects in high school and i want to start reading history books or like you know history yeah um, just stories and whatnot history books like textbooks like you know authors about history whatever um but it's so helpful and interesting to sort of try to pin it to a moment or a series of moments a timeline because it helps us understand i think as well that for someone who wants to rewrite their relationship and maybe mend some of the Part, you know, the the trauma or the shame or the whatever they've accumulated from growing up with religion or whatever it was, let's say Christianity in this case, um, thinking about how can we reclaim it and understand that we can maybe take parts of it that we like and let go of other pieces. And that's like the nuance of holding multiple truths. So when you sort of encounter someone or like when you knowing that so many people have this wound associated yeah. with God, with their beliefs. Like for a lot of people, the word God is like, oh yeah, like Triggering. so traumatizing. Yeah. Like yeah. it's, and like for I, for reason. a long time, yeah. Right. Understandably, I really disliked the word. It made me uncomfortable up until just earlier this year, like beginning of the year, 
I like, I think in meditation or watching a sunset, having some really like grounded experience, wanted to say the word and like relating to like, oh, wow, like God painted the sunset, like something really sweet. And suddenly I felt more comfortable for a very long time. And I think this is the case for Mm. for a lot of people. It feels so tarnished. And so what, what do you view as a way for people to mend that relationship and begin Mm. to explore it again? Oh, that's such a good question. And that's part of the reason I love this church in Nashville. I get to work at because it truly is like a congregation of like the walking wounded, primarily from Christianity. And a lot of people who are like, I'm an atheist and I come to this church now and we're like, okay, dope. Like it's, it's so, it's so much of, of a group of people trying to answer this very question. So great question. I think the first thing is like, do you want it or not? For so many people that were, grew up and I mostly know about Christianity. So I'll speak from that perspective, but like grew up with compulsory Christianity where you had to do it. It was talked about in your home. It was the culture you were in. It was your extracurriculars. It was your friends. And like, you had to be Christian. You had to believe it. No questions asked a lot of the time. I think the most healing thing you can do is be like, do I want this in my life? Mm. Do I want to use the word God? Do I even want to pray? Do I even want to read a sacred text? Um, Is the Bible like, is that even worthwhile? And like, I think a way of, deciding if you want to or not is like, does it make you feel bad? <laughs> does it make you feel worse? Like, is it so traumatizing that even hearing the word God is triggering? Then I would say like, take care of yourselves, take a step back. You don't have to. And I think that's what a lot of people aren't told. Like it's so compulsory and there's serious consequences to not conforming to that, whether it be social or from your parents or even financial, like, it, yeah, there's like Christian plumbing services where I grow up, you know, so it's like, it's everywhere. And it's like, Oh, well, I can't use that plumber because I'm not a Christian or whatever. Or you lose your job because you're not a Christian. So I think, yeah, the first question is, do I even want this? Does this make me feel better or worse? And then go from there. And I think something I found honestly manifesting, which is how me and Bella met through a manifesting abundant collective group. And then the manifesting retreat, like that's been a big part of my healing in my spirituality, because I was in a really charismatic church in college, which charismatic is like very driven by the Holy Spirit. And I love, so, you know, Christianity, you got triune God. It makes zero sense. No one can explain it because it doesn't make sense. Like you're telling me there's three, but there's also one. No, that doesn't make sense. But, you know, we go with it. So the Holy Spirit's one aspect of that. And it was really hyper spiritual. And there was a lot that I loved about that because I love, like, I've always just been so drawn to the spiritual, you know, but it was weaponized and it was oppressive in a lot of ways. And the theology that kind of undergirded it was deeply homophobic and racist. And like, so it kind of tainted the spirit, like and spirituality for me. And so finding manifesting was a way for me to tap into that side of myself and literally into my own spirit without Christian language, which is Mm. such a gift and has really helped me to even be able to not feel so like rebellious against the idea of the Holy Spirit, you know, or like the person of the Holy Spirit or, or praying in that way, because I allowed myself to not do it for a while and um, to find new language. And so I think that's the second thing of like, if you decide you do want to explore God and spirituality, 
you're allowed to have new language. You're allowed to find something that works for you. Maybe you grew up Christian, but you want to explore yoga and you want to like get into the philosophy of yoga, which I love yoga, or maybe you want to explore Buddhism or, you know, there's so many religions and there's so many ways to connect with your spirituality. And I just deeply believe that like human beings are spiritual Mm -hmm. beings. Like it's a part of us, like we're physical and I love being a physical being but also we're spiritual. And so it makes sense if someone's like, I can't do this anymore. Christianity doesn't work for me or God talk doesn't work for me, but I can do this and like tap into themselves. And the truth of the matter is like, you know, what's right for you and what's not. And that's another thing that a lot of people have robbed from them. If you grow up in any sort of fundamentalist religion, like a fundamentalist religion or like sect of a religion, which all religions have it. Christianity has it. Judaism has it. Um, Islam has it. If you're fundamentalist, that's where it's like, you will listen to the rules and you will not ask questions, you know? And so that's where you learn to suppress and repress any sense of intuition that you have, any sense of God in you speaking, any sense of trusting your body, any sense of trusting your knowing that is like smashed out because you have to listen to authority. It's like the extremist side. Well, Mm -hmm. what we view as the extremist side where there's no room for like essentially to me spirituality is it it can basically it operates almost completely independently of any religion because it's not necessarily built on like learning from an external source like a lot of people start where you're like learning from within it's like this self inquiry and so but i think it's you know for anyone who like wants to dip their toes it's like spirituality and whatever that means to you because the whole point is it can literally be anything is a way where i have found people end up if they're interested making their way back to one of the many religions right like for me i ended up being really curious about buddhism and zen buddhism and i i read the text now i'm starting to read the sutras and like i want to understand those just because I just find it fascinating. And like, I think it's cool to connect back to people centuries ago who Mm -hmm. were potentially talking about the same realizations that I had on my own, which is insane. Right. So that's why I think I understand the, on the other side of the fundamentalist view, let's say people who are like agnostic atheist and Mm -hmm. think potentially that religion is just wholeheartedly bad. Like I understand where they're coming from because it can feel like a distraction of the self, right? That like, or like an abandonment of self. Yeah. Yes. Right. Which I, I mean, it seems like there are massive themes of that, right? Like in, you know, the purity culture and like kind of telling women they have to be a certain way and then feeling like, well, what the fuck? I have these feelings in me. And like, I, what am I supposed to just ignore those? It's a total separation of self. And so it seems like basically the difference between religion and spirituality is really just that spirituality has this sense of like you don't necessarily need a a text or a, a sect or an institution or whatever mm-hmm. to explore it. It's all about like turn inward and just see what the fuck happens there. And that's like why everyone finds it differently. And manifestation is a great way to do it because you're like, how do I feel about this? What have I what meaning have I attached to this? Like how do I surrender what am i surrendering to and it's totally separate and feels kind of safe from like yeah. the institutions where's where 
that's where things get wonky is in like, absolutely. okay, we've made a group and someone's the leader here. Like, okay, things are going to get right. messy. And if you make a group, then somebody's in and somebody's out, right? Which like, so then you have group identity and then you have like othering people, which is truly the root of most evil, if not all. Um, so yeah, I'm with you. And I think like you hit the nail on the head of like the beauty of religion is having a community and a common language, right? Like I really do believe like I'm universalist in this way of like, I really believe like Richard Rohr, who is a um, Franciscan monk, so a Catholic monk. And he says like, if it's true here, it's true everywhere. Like if it's capital T true, no one person, no one religion, no one sect has a corner on the truth, right? Like if it's true, it's going to be true no matter what. And like, if I believe in a God that is infinite as Christianity does, who am I to say? what else that God is up to in other places, you know? And so I think you hit the nail on the head of like um, having spiritual ancestors is so cool. Like you relating to the sutras and being like, people have been thinking about this for millennia. I freaking love that. Like, why do I keep going to school? Because I'm like, what did they think? What did they do? How did they eat their food? Like, I'm just fascinated by the context. And it makes my life richer because we're talking about this intangible thing with language, which is the best and worst way to talk about anything is with language. And like, we're all just trying to like hang words on this phenomenon of God and of spirituality and how we think God is talking to us and with us and how we think other people play into that. Like we're all just attempting to grasp something so ingraspable, graspable. And that's why like religion is fun. And that's why like having that common language to be like, oh my gosh, there's this spirit in me that I also see other places. And then being like, oh my God, Holy Spirit. Like it just gives you language, right? Like it doesn't, and anytime you name something, it clarifies it and it limits it, right? Like that's language. Language tells us what is. And also like the minute you put a word on it, yes. you communicate it to someone, but you also like limit it, you know, because yes. we can only do so much with language. So yeah, I think that's beautiful. You found that in uh, Buddhism. Yeah. I mean, it's almost like the origin of religion was what we're talking about. We're Probably it was more like you're starting with the spirit. You're starting with what is the meaning of all of this? How do I connect to other human beings? What is our nature as people on this planet? Exactly. And then they gave it language. But then yeah, what happened? Then they tell stories. That's yes, how the Bible stories. Is stories. That's how we learn yes. shit. Why do we think we like podcasts? Why do we think we like TV shows and movies and books? Because we learn and engage and know through story. Anyway, sorry, right. continue. I cut yes. you off. <laughs> no, it's, it's, a, it's an important point. It's, it adds a lot of color to it because it's like, then the issue that happened though, is that people were like, okay, I now have this written thing of my experience mm -hmm. that I feel to be fundamentally true, like a capital T truth. But then the problem is we said to people, now take this and accept it without having first experienced it on your own. And so it mm, flips mm -hmm. the journey that leads to the most like embodied form of, of belief or feeling of divinity or connection to source, et cetera. It like, you like accidentally reversed it. And that's why people don't like it because they're not just, people don't want to just accept it, right? Like when you're young, right. you're going to accept it because a, like until you're seven, you're, you're not even like a conscious person, like everything you just take <laughs> yeah. it in. Right. Yeah. And then as you get older, you're like, okay, everyone's telling me I have to accept this, but that doesn't make any sense. And so it's like, 
just making this through line of understanding how religion can be used very positively if Mm -hmm. we treat it as like this can give language to what we're feeling and then it adds dimension to it but it's it's so weird because when you do it in the reverse that's where Mm. all these issues come from is like Mm -hmm. you know it's the same thing of someone giving you advice for years and then finally Mm. you try it on your own and you're like oh i see what they were saying like they were right right all along but you're never gonna feel it as true if you don't Mm. experience it first and right that's the gap i think for a lot of people and then Mm -hmm. why they want to throw the baby out with the bathwater is like well screw all the religions like all they do is make people you know disconnected Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Such a good point. Such a good point. And this is making me think of something like when you throw the baby out with the bathwater and you were saying like on a spectrum, there's like fundamentally we're talking about Christianity. So we'll talk about that, like fundamentalist Christianity or atheists. But I would argue fundamentalism is not strictly a religious phenomenon. Like you can be a fundamentalist Christian or uh, Jew or Muslim And you can be, I think, a fundamentalist atheist, right? Like to me, fundamentalism is my way or the highway. This is absolutely right. You have nothing to teach me. I don't like you. We're different. Therefore, you're wrong (laughs) because I'm right. And I think there's like fundamentalist Republicans and there's fundamentalist um, Democrats. And it has nothing to do like you don't have to fundamentalism fundamentalism doesn't have to do with God talk, you know, like, right. And so I think that like posture of, I have nothing to learn from anybody who has a different idea of me. Like, I know that's exactly why you have this podcast. If you're like, that's not productive. We can't (laughs) learn. Like we can't grow. And that also alienates you from your own experience because you're like, wait, what if I experience something that's different from what I experienced yesterday? And then I built everything on what I experienced yesterday. And I can't even question my own experience. Right? Like, yeah. It happens. It happens. And to accept that we're always changing and growing and that other people are always changing and growing and that if God is infinite, we're always learning more and different and from different angles. And Mm -hmm. like, we're constantly going to be evolving. So to be fundamentally anything kind of, you can't, right? right? Because you can cling to it and you can try, but like, if you are open at all to changing your mind, your mind is going to change because we're constantly growing and evolving and getting new information. And every day is different and every day is new. Yeah. What do you think is sort of like that human root cause of fundamentalism, whether it's for being a certain religion or for being a Democrat or whatever, Mm -hmm. like all these different ways that people are like, Oh, I'm not religious. And it's like, but you are because you're like blind to whatever. Like, what do you, What do you think is the human piece there? Like the fact that it happens in other ways, it's like you can't necessarily blame it on like, oh, the root cause is this institution of religion where it's like, well, the common denominator is humans is like, yes, (laughs) dysregulated or confused. (laughs) Right. So like, what do you see as that common human behavior of like, why do people become so entrenched and unable to change their thinking or their beliefs? Fear. It is fear. I feel so confident in that because that's such a big question. And I, I I risk being oversimplistic in this, but I was just talking with a friend last night about how, um, about like a scarcity mindset and how what I see in the teachings of Jesus and in um, the best that Christianity has to offer is this abundant mindset of there's more than enough to go around. 
God loves everyone. There's no limit to the love. There's no limit to the care that God has for each individual. And so you get to give love away. You get to give your resources away. You get to give, you can just hold everything so loosely because you trust that God's always going to fill it back up, right? There's more than enough to go around. And that to me is the kingdom of God is that there's more than enough to go around. And when you have a scarcity mindset, you're scared, you're scared. And I was talking to a friend and I was like, oh my God, I bet those are the same root Latin word. And that's where I get super nerdy, but I have yet to look that up, but scarcity and scared. I'm like that, that those sound the same. They have to be the same word. So we'll see if they are, I really don't know. But I really think fear is what brings out the worst in anybody. And I think like from any fundamentalist perspective, you're clinging to something so tightly because you're afraid, you're afraid there's not enough. You're afraid you're not going to belong anymore. If you don't believe that you're afraid of the consequences of what someone else believes and how that could affect you. Um, you're afraid. Yeah. Just, I think fear runs so deeply. And so like, if your religion and your spirituality makes you more brave, I think it's healthy. <laughs> like if your religion or your spirituality makes you see abundance rather than lack, I think it's like the absolute highest that that limited thing of religion can do for anybody. Right. Yeah. I think fears are really a very strong likelihood of being, you know, there's always different reasons, but fear tends to be a very deep emotion that like you're saying is also rooted in this lack because the opposite is that feeling of trust and calm and, you know, literally just not worrying and like, there's not necessarily I'm trying to think like what is the opposite of fear and it's it's more just like almost trust because I think you're right because that's the opposite fear is is unknown it's uncertainty right and that's why yeah. you know you have like okay you're going to latch on to an identity a group a label if you're not like totally comfortable and at home in in yourself because you need something to validate what you are and to always feed you something. Right. And so then anything that threatens what you've chosen as an identity, as a sense of self, as a group belonging, anything that threatens that is enormously uncomfortable because you have found home in other things, but you haven't found home in yourself, which is a huge problem of then you know, the external rewards become the most important thing. And then you don't see, you don't see clearly like you're, you're hijacked from a, a, a critical thinking perspective, from a belief perspective, because if you don't have this, then you don't know what you're doing here. And that's exactly. very scary fear. Yes. Yes. And I think, oh, that was so good, Bella. And something you said at the beginning of that, my wheels are turning so much because fear and anxiety. So I have anxiety and depression, like truly diagnosis on all sorts of um, medication, all the therapy, all the yoga, all the things to like be well. And, um, but anxiety is a mat is like you, it's an approach to the unknown. Like it's a posture to the unknown. Same with fear, I think is a posture to the unknown. So I don't know what's going to happen. It's probably bad. I'm probably going to die. Everyone I love is going to die. The world is ending. That's anxiety. But you said trust as the opposite of fear. I think that's true because trust is a different kind of posture to the unknown. It's a posture to the unknown saying, I don't know. Like it's an acceptance of our finitude, which I hate. I hate being finite. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to have limitations. My therapist all the time. She's like, so 
that might be a limitation. I'm like, take it back, Jane, take it back. Anyway, so trust is acceptance of, I don't know what the fuck is going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. Literally anything could happen. And I'm going to trust that it's good. I'm going to trust that even if it's bad, good's going to come out of it. I'm going to trust that even the worst case scenario, like working through the worst case scenario, I'm going to be okay because I've got my own back and God somewhere in there has got my back as well, you know? And so it's like, it's that abundance. It's like, there's an abundance of good. I'm even if the absolute worst thing happens, I'm going to be okay. And then fear is if the worst thing happens, of course, I'm not going to be okay. But they neither can say what's going to happen. Trust and fear. They're just like, I don't fucking know. But it's going to be bad or it's going to be good. Right. One is like a calm acceptance of the now, right? Like there's this mm-hmm. idea of the eternal now that Alan Watts talks a lot about and is kind of a concept in Zen is like what you achieve through meditation and through stillness is this comfort with the fact that there is nothing except for right now. And everything that we view as past and future it's made up there you mm-hmm. literally cannot grasp it like sure right. you can look at a picture you can matters? it's insane like that's actually <laughs> insane but like that you know that's the human mind wants to believe that there is a way to plan for every bit of the future and a way to rewrite the past and those do not exist like mm-hmm. and so to embody that idea and say i actually feel that there's only one thing and it's just right now, even though in our minds, we were just talking five minutes ago, something else like <laughs> that was also a present moment, right? Exactly. To then say like, in terms of, you know, worrying about the what I think about what could happen and what has happened has no place because when you sit in stillness there and you're breathing, you're present, you're conscious, like... That's how you are all the time. We just get a, our body freaks out and releases certain chemicals and things get a little wonky. But like for sure, in that grand scheme of things, feeling that helps to dissipate those mind games, right? The monkey brain that's like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? And I have to pay money to li-. like, we're like, okay, what? like those things. Logistics, the logistics. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, which are real. Like we have to figure They're those so out. Real. But creating a foundational space that says i understand the essence of my existence right like maybe trying to be in accordance with with nature and i i'm wondering have you for me trying to understand nature has been a big part of let's say moving away from fear and living more in in like a trusting state of mind has that been at all part of your journey or like your kind of perspective on building a sense of self a sense of spirituality connecting then back to like the language of it what role does nature play for you yeah yeah I think mm, that's such a good question I don't think about nature a lot in my spirituality but it absolutely is like I've always sensed well also I grew up with the script of like God made everything and I was like I, I can keep that around that works for me God made everything a good a good force made the ocean I can get on board with that. I freaking love the ocean. Like the ocean is abundant. It's beautiful. It is everything to me. I have a wave tattooed on me because I'm obsessed with it. Um, and so like, yeah, being by the water, just sensing something different in my spirit in, um, yeah, the surroundings. I think there's so much like 
fodder for spirituality there. And I think there's so much, I'm such a words person. And so even like being in nature, I'm like, well, this is a metaphor, <laughs> you know, like I, it's hard for me to actually just like receive what it is. Cause I'm like, well, like the mountain and the valley and sometimes and then God's there. Like I always am going to be doing that. But um, I saw a quote recently and if I find it, I'll send it to you. And it was some theologian talking about like in our modern life, we, we don't allow uh, nature to minister to us. Like we're so disconnected from the earth and we're so disconnected from the seasons because we can be inside and like I'm sitting inside right now and I'm cold because we keep the air conditioning low because it's so freaking hot in Tennessee, you know, like we're so disconnected, but it is such incredible, such an incredible resource for spirituality and such, yeah, a way that so many people I know who really have given up on Christianity and that's okay. I don't resent them for that at all. I'm not worried about them, but nature is still something that brings them peace and spirituality and connection to themselves and the universe, you know? And so I think nature can be a beautiful, neutral, like safe space to kind of play in your spirituality. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think like, or just the fact that we are so disconnected and like that, that can be spending time in nature once you start doing it consciously i think it's a difference because mm-hmm. like you know we yeah. grow up playing outside whatever but then yeah. you know in our adult life we we forget a bit we sort of sever that relationship and to intentionally re-enter for people tends to provide a shift because i mean energetically it's so different <laughs> like to be at the beach or on a mountain or in a forest and to not have so many like literal just like material items that man has made and to be with what is the same material as you are is such a trip to try to like spend time in that to be like i and like this tree like we're kind of the same shit like we're literally came from that same source if you dial everything back go way 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 back in the timeline like all of a sudden there wasn't that many things here. And all of a sudden I'm here, you know, years later. And so I think for me, for sure, like nature has provided that connection of being like, oh, when I'm, you know, talking to God or praying or whatever my form is of that, like Mm -hmm. I mainly will, you know, when I'm journaling or or calling something in my spiritual practice, I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm talking to nature a lot and there's something to learn from it there, which Given yeah. how p- disconnected we are, it's like it can wake you up into yeah. learning more about yourself, right? And it doesn't talk. Mm-hmm. It's like pretty quiet out there. So you have to be alone with yourself. Eh, who wants yes, that? <laughs> right. We do, but it's tough. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. Yes. That's a huge part of it is spending time alone and in stillness and with no stimulus is like kind of terrifying, but is the bridge to being able to feel more free and untethered and like you don't have to agree with something to be accepted because you're at home in yourself Mm, and that's that's like right when it comes to the bible i'm really curious your journey with it and how i have not really read the bible other than like you know it was in the back of the pew and they would sometimes do a piece of it like i i've like you know don't know much of it other than what i've heard you know from stories passed on i know that um i don't know if you're familiar with jordan b peterson but he is like he will he's it's fascinating because he 
um, leans a lot on the biblical stories to like, you know, just explain his concepts. And so I've begun to appreciate it from the perspective of stories and how these are like mm-hmm. essentially these bridges to helping us understand, you know, social dynamics or our existence, et cetera. But I know it also has become just for people who actually studied it, like what what was it to study the Bible? Like how did it become from just a book of stories to like the bane of people's existence? <laughs> Oh my God, that's so accurate. At one point or another, I would describe the Bible as the bane of my existence. Um, okay, I'm, I want to talk about the Bible so much because I have just low, so many thoughts, but I want to tell you this um, metaphor that I think you will like um, talking about like nature. So before we move on to the Bible, but I, there's this wonderful quote. And again, I think it's Parker Palmer. I think it's Parker Palmer, who's like a theologian, a writer, more like writer than theologian. Um, but he describes the soul as like a woodland creature like everybody's soul is like a little scared woodland creature and the way that you get in touch with it so we're like going all the way back to talking about like how does anyone find their way find their spiritual way find themselves in their spiritual nature parker palmer would say like your soul is always there your soul your spirit whatever you want to call it but if you're wanting to go find a little woodland creature you don't go banging through the woods stomping as loud as you can you don't just say like come out you have to come out now like no, it would hide because that is not safe. And he's like, rather, if you want to connect with your soul, the best thing you can do is like sit down quietly by a tree and wait for it to come out. And I love that. And like, wow. I come back to that so much. Right. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Never. Yeah, I love that. That's such a good metaphor. That's like, oh my God, perfect. Yeah, for sure.
<laughs> you never know. Right. Yeah. Right.
Right. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right. Mm hmm. Right. Mm, Right. So do you think it's not that the Bible like said, you know, outlined these are the rules for our society and like we have to follow them? It was more like people like, you know, powerful leaders or people in the churches, like almost they had their subjective beliefs about the world, which they took to be fundamentally true, which is, you know, the fallacy that many you know, narrow-minded people go through is they think that there's no chance they're wrong. And they found this book and said, oh, because obviously everything, you know, this is them obviously not realizing. Basically, they 
have like an unconscious look at this text and see mm-hmm. how it could be as proof for their worldview. And so they manipulate that as saying, I believe this to be true and I can I can provide an interpretation of this text, of this story to support my worldview, which is like something that is is normal to happen. But the difference is then saying now all of you need to believe it and need to now we need to structure our society in this way. There's also stories in the Bible that are like because of you're saying the context in a different time that they seem, you know, almost as objective as you can get like wrong like we shouldn't like it's a bad idea like you know the example of like slavery like i that i don't i haven't read a lot of what people say are the stories that you know said slavery was okay or or whatever but like you know is that are there in your view stories that you feel because they're so outdated and of a different time where people you know right and wrong have a lot of subjectivity to them but today knowing what we know they're like okay this is like not ideal <laughs> Right. Yeah. <laughs> mhm.
but like I just embed Yeah, that approach, I mean, that's like a testament to being able to hold multiple truths and like understanding what real human nature is and what it and basically just understanding the complexity of humans, the society, being in these groups, having these institutions like of our how our beliefs work and like I understand the the desire to say like okay well if we do this with people we say I heard them say this crazy thing and so I have to disregard them completely as a human being and it's like contradictions like they're just they exist they're going to happen like they are normal because yes within all of us right like I don't agree with things that I've said or done in the past like what am I supposed Yeah. Yes, totally. Yeah. Yeah. That is a big theme that I've actually learned in Zen Buddhism of why I'm so fascinated. I feel that same like parallel passion that you do when you're like nerding out on on like spiritual texts and whatever, because to me, it, it's like hard to define it as a religion Be knowing, okay, like at the same time, that religion as a word, as a construct has like had a lot of trouble. And so we like don't want to like label it as that. But the reason why it feels very non-fundamental, this is of course my interpretation because I don't take it as like, like I can't question it, right? But that folded into the ideas of Zen is the principle of you should not believe this until you feel it. And that there's an invitation to ask questions and the whole uh actually format where a lot of like um where young like people try to become in the process of becoming a, a buddhist monk and like becoming a, a master or whatever that the whole point is that they actually avoid trying to describe what zen is as much as possible and instead they teach i think it's in what's called the koans are these like question answer like set there's like thousands of them over the years mm -hmm. that have developed but it's basically like the zen master will ask a student a question and either through silence or something absurd like like there's this story where it's like the guy asks like who is the buddha and then the student like kicks over a sack of rice and like he awakens like random things like that that don't make any sense but the whole point is that it's built in like there are fundamental truths which you will come to learn on your own because you're a human being. They're going to reveal themselves. And so you're 
task now is, you know, meditate, sit in silence, do these things, like make your tea, like do these rituals. Yes, be open to it and just create the environment. Exactly, yes, but it's very much not fashioned toward like, you know, these are the texts and you have to believe it or else, you know, XYZ problem. And so, (laughs) (laughs) so it's like, I think now seeing how there is so much potential for that in the Bible, in Christianity is really wonderful and shows like, hey, it's not that, you know, I think probably some people would argue that like, for example, someone would probably could probably argue like Christianity innately is negative for whatever reason like i'm sure there's a debate for that right yeah so it's like right so it's like i that's like understandable why you'd want to say okay but like this is a a completely a problem we have to disregard it at the same time saying well what if we said we can hold multiple things to be true we can understand hey i don't agree with this thing but i see the overall value of learning about myself, learning about others, about kindness, about virtues, etc. from this text or or it having it being a method of giving you language. And that's kind of been my biggest light bulb moment in this conversation is like religion provides the language for the fundamental truths that we all come to experience if we allow ourselves to, like if we quiet down for our soul or if we connect with others, if we like work away from fear that you can like share these core beliefs with either a person the same age as you or a Zen monk who was alive centuries ago. Like we think the same thing. And so religion gives us the text to connect in community, which is I think something that I honestly had never like clicked for me. And for a long time, I was like very anti-religion. Like I was the woman who was like, this is terrible. This is trash. Like I went to the Vatican. I was like angry. I was like, these people are horrible, whatever. And I think it feels a lot more expansive and redemptive for humankind to see how we can still use these tools as a form of liberation, as a form of expansion, of learning, of community, of oneness, all those things. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, we all do. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We we have to right. Yeah, yeah. And there's such, you know, respect that you have for understanding that like just because it works for you, just because it 
feels true to you and it has been true doesn't mean that you get to, you know, in the form of dogma, like make sure everybody else believes it. Like, of course, you know, we're all going to do a little bit of evangelizing and, you know, you know, I I like to talk about things that I have found to be helpful, but right. But in, but the difference is like, okay, understanding and respecting people's free will and their choices, like just because it works for you doesn't mean that we should like force it on other people, which is so obvious, but to some people it's, it's really not. And I do think it's the fear thing of like, Right. Yes. Right. Right. Mhm. I know. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's we have to confront. Yes, yes, we have to confront our egos and understand like, well, it's funny because it can be it's the source of the problem and it's also can be the solution, right? So like becoming more compassionate and respectful to other people is something that I have found has create has happened in me more and more when I try to learn about oneness or the idea that you know all is one everything is connected and then to say okay well again this works for me but in no way am i going to push this on somebody else because that goes against what i have been learning as fundamentally true and it's hard because you know we we want to feel justified and we want to feel like well i feel pretty good in my life things are going pretty well so don't i want other people to feel good too but we have to let go of trying to push it on other people because maybe they're not ready, you know, it's not. Yes, control. Yeah, it really leaning into that trust and like comfortable sense of self is the biggest preventive, I think, from feeling that like panic of having to fix everybody else, of having to like make sure everyone else figures it out. And instead being like, well, I got here because I figured it out on my own and I have to let other people do that, too.
Ja. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 1000%. Yes. Like it's I have had a similar experience and realization where you think like, oh, now that I had this lesson, I learned this thing, like I'm good, right? But yeah, but it's that's not how it works. And I think the I think it's actually really beautiful though because to get to re-experience these awakenings, these realizations, these revelations is to me, like one of the most integral parts of the human experience that makes it worthy and fascinating is the fact that we're on a wave. Like, you know, there are days where I'm like, I don't believe any of the shit anymore. Like nothing is working, you know? And then days later, whatever, however long it takes you to get through your hardship, like you will get to the revelation point again and feel in your body how Oh, I wouldn't have gotten to here if I didn't have the low. And that's acceptance. Like, that is the trust of like, this fucking sucks right now. I feel like shit. Things are bad. But you know what? Like, nature is in balance. We know that. Like, it works in this miraculous way where everything is in order. It takes its time. It doesn't rush, but everything happens. And that's us too. Yeah. Hunter, this has been so wonderful. I, this conversation just, I'm so grateful for you. I was really looking forward to this because I just think it's so important to like put into language for people these ideas and these journeys that we've gone on with finding meaning and reclaiming our divinity and all these things that I love so much and I've wanted to share more because. It's such a bridge to self-exploration. And in the end, that's kind of what I'm here for. So I'm just very, very grateful. And if you if there's anything you want to share with the audience to connect with you or things you got going on, anything local to you or, or whatever, please uh let them know. Amazing. <laughs> okay, cool. Great. I'll, I'm going to make sure I link all your stuff in the show notes. So um, I'll just text you to get all that. But thank you again, Hunter. This was so beautiful. I'm so excited for people to listen in. And I'm just very grateful for you and our friendship. <laughs>